So this morning, we're starting a new series um, looking at the book of Joshua. So for the next several months, we're going to systematically work our way through this book. Um, You've heard me say this before. I have a mentor who, when I'm... It's, it's usually when I'm struggling with something and I'm going and I'm talking to him and I'm like, oh, life is falling apart. I don't know what to do. This is so difficult. This mentor always looks at me and he says, okay, Scott, what Bible story are you in? Right, you've heard me say this before, right? What Bible story are you in? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I feel, I feel like Joseph, like in prison with the world against him. And, he, and then he just looks at me, well, go study Joseph and learn how you're supposed to handle the situation you're in. So a lot of how I function in ministry is through that principle, like, okay, at this point in the life of our church, what story are we in? What part of the Bible are we living? And then let's go there and see what wisdom that has for us in this season of the life of the church. So we, we talked about it last week a little bit. We talked about it the week before. We have just come out of a wilderness season uh, and crossed this threshold into this new promised land of being reaccredited with our denomination, which is exciting. Um, and so it felt to me like the appropriate place to go to look at what should we do now? How should we function as a church, knowing that there's these promises that God has for his church and that we're strategically positioned here in Hillsborough, we're financially healthy, we're growing, there's momentum. What do we need to do now in order to take hold of the promises that God has given to his church and make sure we see them happening through our body and into the world around about us? So that's why we're going to be in Joshua. That sound all right? Learn from, learn from Joshua what it looks like to claim the land that God has given to us. So today I want to give a bit of an introduction to the book and really an introduction to Joshua because it's very easy to assume that everyone knows who he is and that everyone can recall quickly off the back of their minds uh, who he is and what he did and how he functions in the story. So we're going to spend some time just a brief introduction to the book and to the person of Joshua. So I'm going to start here. Some people love this stuff. Some people hate it. Here's an outline of the book of Joshua made by yours truly. Isn't it wonderful and complicated? Um, So the book, 24 chapters in the book of of Joshua, really simply broken into four segments. First five chapters is them crossing from the other side of the Jordan into the land. Chapters 6 through 12 are all of these conquests as they're clearing the land of its people and taking ownership of the land, which raises some really fascinating and horrible questions that we're going to have to wrestle with a little bit as we go. Um, Chapters 13 through 21 are the ones that you're going to have the most fun if you go home and read it, it's where they list out how they divided the land and what the geographical borders are for each person. Spoiler alert, we're going to tackle those in a chunk. I'm not going to do them chapter by chapter and look at all the geography because I don't know that you're going to love it. Those that love it can enjoy that on your own time. We gave you a wonderful tool called Right Now Media, which I'm sure has some stuff in there to help you with that. And then the last couple of chapters, which are the climax of the book, as they learn how to live in the land, they, there's, there's a whole bunch of language in there around consecration and getting ready to move forward. So, so this is it. They're entering, they're taking the land, they're learning to live in it, and this is the season we're in. We've been placed here in Hillsborough. Our church is functioning. We're healthy. We're moving forward. Now we want to learn how to take what God has promised us and see it come to fruition in and through our church. So Joshua chapter 1. We're going to do a whole two verses this morning. 
Uh, and they say this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. So the book opens up with the question that I was beginning to raise already. And the question is simply this, who is Joshua and why is he the guy that's going to lead the people forward? And what can we see in his life so far that might prep us to be ready for, uh, for what this series is going to unfold and to be ready to walk into all that God has for us? Last preview piece. Joshua's name, we know him as Joshua. Joshua's name isn't Joshua. Joshua's name is Hosea. Um, and Hosea is the Hebrew word that means he saves or he is salvation. So in Numbers chapter 13, you've got this little throwaway verse where it says, um, Hosea, who, Joshua, who Moses renamed Joshua. And Joshua just takes the name Yahweh and takes the Yah off the front of Yahweh and puts it in place of the pronoun. So instead of he saves, he's specifying your name is not just he saves, but Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the one that's going to save you. And I think that's important because if you remember in the story, it's only in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses encounters God. It's in Exodus chapter 32, um, 36, where he has the rev 34, verse 6, where he has, I'll get there eventually. I'll just keep throwing numbers at you and one of them will be right. Um, Exodus 34, 6, where, where Moses is like, God, show me your glory. And God's like, I'm going to pass before you. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and then I'm going to reveal to you who I am and he reveals his name and his character to Moses and for the first time the people of God understand that God is Yahweh I am that I am so as Moses is leading the people and now it's time for him to pass his ministry on to his successor he wants the people to be doubly sure that it's not any other God or any other person who saves. It's Yahweh that was made known to me is the one who saves and is the only one through whom salvation comes. Um, so as we're studying this book of Joshua, I want you to remember that his name is Hosea, um, but the title that this book has been given and this person's renaming is reminding us who is the source of our salvation. The other little language geek part, who knows Jesus' Hebrew name? Yeshua, which is the same name as Yoshua, just with the vowels changed around, which changes the tense slightly. So as this book is saying, it's not just someone that saves, it is Yahweh who saves. Joshua as a person is the precursor pointing ahead to Yeshua, the ultimate one who is the salvation of our sins and the hope of the world. So as a reaccredited church, as we walk into this new season, we want Yoshua, Yeshua to be the center of what we do and the driving force behind everything we're doing as a church. So a transition of leadership has taken place. I'm going to jump back to Numbers 27. Um, to see why is Joshua the one that is going to carry things forward? What is the transition that takes place? So this is Numbers 27. 
Moses, uh, starting at verse 15, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before the one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. It's a special giftedness and uh, recognized in this person. And then lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority. Did you know that by laying hands on someone, you can impart your authority to them? Interest, isn't it? Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He's to stand before the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At this command, he and the entire community of Israelites will go out and at his command, they will come in. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. So you've got this moment. The beginning of Joshua, Joshua is leading the people forward. We see in the books prior in Numbers and Deuteronomy, this transition of leadership is happening. And the reason is there is something seen in the person and character of Joshua that means he's the right person to lead the people forward. And I think sometimes, certainly when we jump into a book like Joshua, it's easy to start looking at the character and read the story as if it's in a vacuum and forget that there's a whole story up till this point that explains why this person is the one that gets to lead things forward. Um, I think the, the, the side principle here is leadership never happens in a vacuum. Your role in the church, your role in leadership, the work that God has appointed you to do in the world, it doesn't just come out of nowhere and happen overnight with no planning or preparation. What we're about to see from Joshua's story is the way that God was sovereignly working from early on to prepare Joshua and give him the experiences he needed in order to lead the people forward. And that means for us in this season of the life of the church, as we step forward to take hold of the promises that God has given us, every one of you is here for a reason. And every one of you has been given gifts and talent and calling to help lead things forward. And God has been systematically working in you since before you were born to make sure that you have the gifts and the skills and the knowledge and the training that you need at this juncture to help lead this church forward. And if that wasn't true, he'd have put you in a different church. So you're sovereignly positioned. He has been working and training you to do the things that God wants you to do, working in the background. So let's look at some of what these are. I'm going to look, uh, I'm going to fly through these quickly. Um, I want to look at six places that Joshua appears before this. And all, like, if you want to do this, go to Bible Gateway, stick in the name Joshua, and then just start reading all the places he appears. This is all I'm doing. I'm just going to walk through the places that he's appearing before this point in the story. And I want us to look at what happens and how God has been sovereignly preparing him for this moment. Last pre-principle. I said that the last time, didn't I? There's a fascinating thing that you can do with the scripture, which I heard someone call before the law of the first mention. You can go in scripture, if you take a character, Moses, go back and look at the first time they're mentioned in scripture because the story of how they first appear usually gives a hint at how the rest of the story is going to go. Bad characters at the end of their life usually have a bad origin story. The good characters usually have something interesting happen at the beginning. So we're looking now at Joshua's origin story and the way he appears in scripture first, he's already a proven leader. 
So at this point, when Joshua is being given leadership of the nation, it's not out of nowhere. He's already been working in the background and being seen by people to be an effective leader of God's people. So here's his first mention. I'm not going to read all of it and explain all of the stories. But Exodus chapter 17 is one of those stories that people are typically familiar with. There's a battle happening. The part that we know is Moses and Aaron go up on the mountainside, or Moses goes up on the mountainside with Aaron and her, and Moses holds his hands up the whole way through, and he has two guys hold his hands up, and as long as Moses' hands are up in intercession, the victory is won, but as soon as he lets his hands down, the other, uh, the other team starts winning, right? You know that story? Does that sound familiar to people? That's the part that we know. The part that we forget is who's involved in the story, The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, take some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. As long as Moses had his hands up, the Israelites were winning. Whenever they lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took the stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side, one on the other, so his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Earlier in the story, we don't know what happened before this part. We, we know that he's a leader in, in the tribe of Ephraim. We don't know what happened up to this point, but the origins part of the, the part of the Bible that gives us Joshua's entry into the story. Moses is at the top of the hill, and we give him the credit for the intercession. But if Joshua isn't down on the field leading the battle, there ain't nothing happening. Um, so of all the people in Israel at that point, Joshua has, uh, Moses has looked at Joshua and said, you have the training, the experience, the respect to be able to lead our people in battle. So by the time Joshua is going to lead, his peop- lead the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 1, he's already had experience winning victories for the Lord in partnership with God's leadership. So if you're here and you feel like, you know, that I have dreams and desires to lead in the kingdom of God, you don't start by leading the nation, right? You start by leading the one battle that you're asked to lead and you do it faithfully and effectively in partnership with the leadership that God has put over you. And for many of you sitting in the room, God has already been doing that. He's already preparing you and testing your leadership. Now, testing your leadership doesn't always mean that there's a victory at the end of it. Sometimes the biggest tests of our leadership are the ones that we fail, and then God uses our our failure to humble us, to refine us, to teach us new dependency on him, to learn from those mistakes, and to walk into the world a more humble and a more gracious and a more kind leader because of the test that we've gone through. So many in the room, I I would argue everyone in the room is called to lead in God's kingdom. All of you are called to lead in this church in some capacity. Your victories and your failures are things that God wants to take hold of to lead us forward. So Joshua is a proven leader. We already see it in the story. Part two, Joshua is mentored by Moses. Um, I love the relationships that happen at different points in scripture between the leader and, and their second in command. But Joshua has a unique insight into Moses' leadership. He has a unique insight into the way that God interacts with Moses and the decisions that Moses makes. There there are random verses that you're like, oh, I don't know that I'd ever noticed that before. Exodus 24, God is calling Moses to come up up the mountain because he wants to talk with him. 
Uh, and it says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, they went up and saw the God of Israel. Under God's feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders, the Israelites. They actually saw him and they ate and drank. This amazing moment where these people get to see visibly uh, and experience God. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. I'm going to give you the tablets of stone with the long commandments that I've written on it. So Moses set out with Joshua. So all the elders and the leaders stay behind. Moses takes Joshua with them and they go up on the mountain together. I often think of Moses being up on the mountain doing the stuff. I do know the leaders sit down at the sides, but I forget that there's this young person that gets a front row seat of how God is interacting with Moses in this encounter. He, he gets to see the way God talks He gets to see the way Moses talks to God face to face. He gets to hear the frustrations of Moses as he's dealing with the people who are grumbling. He gets to hear Moses' complaints about whether he's good enough to lead. He gets this front row seat in the work of God. And and, uh, Steve Fowler last week talked about what it meant to be people of the presence. That we can be the people that stand off at the side or we can be the people that long to be in the inside getting that front row center experience, the first-hand experience of Jesus. Joshua was getting some of these experiences as he walked with his mentor. Leadership theory says people that go on to be effective leaders always have mentors that appear in their life early on in their development that help them to grow. The people that have been investing in you, the people that take interest in you, that invite you out for coffee or want to talk about your life or your career and help impart skills to you, those are people that God is sovereignly placing in your life to teach you uh, what you need to lead in his kingdom as you move forward. Um, They're not accidents. Uh, And I think the the, the thing that I want to stress here for, for everyone in the room God wants you to be these people for the next generation of leaders that are coming up in the church. There are people that need to lead in the kingdom of God who need a mentor figure who can show them the way of God and they're floundering right now because we're not willing to reach out and invest in them. So if you're looking at your life right now and you don't have, if, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're part of the church and you don't have someone that you're looking at to invest in and help lead into the things of God, perhaps you're missing a core part of why God has you here. And perhaps you need to ask him, are there some people in my life that I can invest in that they can see through me what it looks like to follow God, what it looks like to lead so that they can be effective at the things God's called them to do. Number three, Joshua avoided sin. This is, this is an interesting piece. There's this part after what we just read in Exodus 32. Moses turns and, and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. If you remember where we're at in the story, Moses has gone up the mountain. He's been up there for a while. While he's there, Aaron has this bright idea. Don't think Moses is coming down anytime soon. The people are getting restless. Let's get everyone to give us their gold jewelry and we'll make a golden calf and we'll have them worship that instead until Moses comes back, if he ever comes back. You're like, well, well that was dumb, Right? The worst part is when Moses comes down and goes, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know how it happened. It just kind of, the rings went in and this just popped out. It wasn't my fault. Just kind of happened. I love in this part of the story though, what happens with Joshua? Joshua went up the mountain with Moses and we hear about what's happening with Moses and God up the mountain. But at this part of the story, Joshua has no idea what's going on with the people. So Joshua isn't there with them. He's still around Moses. And so Joshua comes down the hill, hears the noise, and he's like, there must be war. Something bad is happening. Moses' willingness to bring Joshua alongside him and Joshua's willingness to pursue Moses into the place where God was leading him meant that he was preserved from sin. There is an element of us walking in intimacy with Jesus, pursuing the things that he's calling us to, surrounding ourselves and submitting ourselves to the people who love and follow God that is a safeguard in our lives against the sins of the people around about us. So in this moment, because of Joshua's yes and because of Moses' yes, Joshua was free from the sin of the people. Number four, what else made Joshua the right person to lead? Steve Fowler talked about this last week. Joshua lingered in God's presence. This may be one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Exodus 33, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand back and worship Um, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. Boss man is in talking with Jesus. Boss man leaves. Joshua stays. In this moment, quantitatively, Joshua is spending more time in the presence of God than Moses is. Granted, Moses has to go out and do some work and Joshua has the privilege of getting to sit behind and linger, but why is Joshua the right person to lead? Because when there's an opportunity to be in the presence of God, Joshua is the one that lingers. And we have to set the intention of our heart. When it comes to my intimacy with Jesus, when I think about the future of the kingdom of God, my role in this church, am I someone that wants to do stuff because I want power and position and recognition? Or am I someone that just wants to linger in the presence of God, knowing that when you linger in his presence, your heart is changed, you're equipped and empowered, and you become the right person to carry that presence into the world to introduce it to other people. I want us to be people that linger. If we want to be effective at the work that God is calling us to do here, we need to communally linger in the presence of Jesus. Number five, Joshua was loyal. There's this strange little moment, the story in Numbers 11. um, 
Moses is sick, fed up with the people. They're grumbling again. They want to go back to Egypt because they want meat instead of the manna of the wilderness. Moses is like, I've had enough, God. If uh, I can't stand these people anymore, God's like, it's okay, I'm going to supply meat for all of them. And he's like, we're in the wilderness. How on earth are you going to supply meat for thousands of people? And God's like, I've got this. And then he has this moment where he's like, Moses, you need some help. So he says, here's what to do. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. So again, people that are tried and tested and proven. Have them come to the tent that they may stand there with you. I'll come down and I'll speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the spirit that's on you and I'll put it on them so that they can share the burden of the people with you so that you no longer have to carry it alone. This image is the image I talked about last week. The mantle that gets put on our church. It's not just on me, but on all of us to lead forward. And then he says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together the 70 elders, had them stand in the tent. The Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with them. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied once. They didn't do it again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they didn't go out to the tent. Doesn't say why. Yet the spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, who'd been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, stop them. They're not supposed, it's only supposed to be these people here, stop them. Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I think in this moment, Joshua is wanting to protect Moses. The people have grumbled against his leadership right before this. Maybe someone else should be the one to lead us forward. And God's like, I've got this. I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to give you help. I've got this. Joshua is fiercely loyal to the leaders that God has given him. And I think that loyalty to Moses as a representative of God is one of the reasons that he is an effective leader moving forward. Um, You may have experienced this in your own life. I am guilty of this. I have sat under leaders where I have, uh, I've been the golden child and uh, teacher's pet and I've done everything they wanted and I've loved and served and I've worked under leaders where I have grumbled and I've complained and I've not been the kind of person that I should have been in those situations. And what I've learned is your posture comes back to bite you. If you think you can lead in the kingdom of God by usurping the authority of other people, the Bible shows us that eventually your authority is usurped. But if we're people who walk in the way of Jesus, who are humble and loyal and self-sacrificial and give praise to the people around us, then God uses us in a powerful way to lead his people forward. It doesn't always happen from the stage or from up front or from a position of power or platform, but even in the background, God can use us powerfully through our humble, submissive spirit. But Joshua was a person, he was loyal to God. He was loyal to Moses. He was loyal to the people of Israel. And that qualified him to lead the people forward. Last one, Joshua. This is one of the stories perhaps that we remember the most. Joshua as a man of faith. As the story goes in Numbers 11, 
they're heading toward the promised land and, and God's like, I want to send some people in to scout out the land. So he picks 12 people to go into the land of Canaan and scout it out. And Joshua and Caleb are two of the people that go into the land. They go, they scout it out. Joshua and Caleb come back. This, this is great. We've got this. The other 10 people, no, it's too scary. We can't do it. Um, Joshua and Caleb walk in faith and God blesses them. Here's Numbers 11. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes and said to the Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flown with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So then later in the story, as the people rebel against Moses and against God, uh, God speaks through Moses, in this wilderness, this generation, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted at the census and who's grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. So as Joshua takes leadership here, he's one of the oldest in the nation. He's one of only two people who were obedient to God in this season, who were allowed from the original group of people to walk into the promised land. Why? Because of their posture of faith. You've heard me say this before. Joshua was someone that went into the land. He saw the situation. He saw the good. He saw the bad but knew that God could help them overcome the enemies that were there in order to take hold of the good promises that God had for them. The only way to be successful and effective in leadership in the church of God is to walk with faith that no matter how bad it looks out there, with God's empowerment and faith in his promises, we will see him do the things that he has promised that he will do. Joshua was a man of faith. So as we start this series on Joshua, who was Joshua? He was a tested and proven leader. He was someone that had been mentored and had an up-close personal view of the leadership of God's people. God was working in the background, helping him to avoid sin through being intimate with Jesus. He was the person that sought and hungered for and lingered in the presence of God that would mark his leadership as he moved forward. He was marked by loyalty and faithfulness and bold, confident faith in the power and the promises of God. That's the kind of people that we want to be as we walk into this new season.